This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Won't you open your Bibles, or if you want, I'll read it to you. Luke chapter 8, verse 43. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude throngs and presses you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out of me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her daughter, Be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Um, I want to speak about this little passage for the next two or three weeks Um, because there are just a few things that have popped out of it and I I think might be quite beneficial to you. Um, What I've entitled this little three weeks is going to be Encountering God in the Story of Your Life. Encountering God in the Story of Your Life. Okay, so take a deep breath. Are you all with us this morning? You ready? You energized? You enthused? Okay, here we go. There is something that's incredible about being a Christian, and you know what that is. You get to journey through life with God. There is a rare privilege that we have with the opportunity to go through life having God as our partner. God is so, so interested in being an integral part of your life, being an integral part of the fabric of who you are. And he wants you to realize the fullness of who he is, and he wants you to encounter his love for you on a regular basis. And every time you touch a part of what he wants to give to you, you have an encounter with him. Our lives should be peppered with encounters. The thing about it is, when we have a look at this woman, it's quite an interesting story because the thing is, she's been battling some with a very serious issue. Lots of people have got issues. Have you noticed that? And sometimes we've got issues. We just don't always recognize our issues. Everybody else tells us we've got issues, but we've got issues. She's had an issue for a long period of time. And the problem with the issue is that she couldn't get it remedied. She couldn't get it fixed. And basically it was getting to the point where it was going to cost her her life. And she got to the place where she recognized that the only opportunity she had to take remedial action, the only way that she could get to the place where she could experience the healing that she was looking for is if she had an encounter. The encounter is what drove her. The thing about it is there are places in our life where you're going to go through certain things it's generally not the average journey that bothers you. It's not the rare little challenge here or there that bothers you. Really what bothers us sometimes are the things of consequence. What bothers us and touches us most significantly are those trials that come to challenge us. Because when those trials come into our life story, what ends up happening is the first thing we want to do is we want to fix it. The problem is, all too often, what makes it a trial, what makes it significant is the fact that when I rummage through the resources of my life, I recognize that I come to the the border, the boundary of who I am, and I recognize that what I need in order to fulfill, in order to accomplish, in order to overcome that trial is beyond my scope. And I'm stuck in a place where all of a sudden I recognize that I need something outside of myself to come into my world so that I can address what's challenging me right now. I don't have the capacity within me to be able to deal with that. It's the place that she came to. All of us see it in everyday life, but it's a reality from a spiritual perspective as well. The thing about it is this. We raise our kids because we recognize the fact that as you're getting older, you need to understand and have an appreciation for the world in which you find yourself. You need to be able to navigate that space effectively. But we recognize that there is a deficiency within the boundaries of their life. And so what we do is we have to go outside of where they are to find something so that we can substitute it and put it into their lives that gives them the capacity to deal with life. So we give them teachers. Teachers are a wonderful thing because teachers have knowledge. 
They have understanding. They have the ability to impart and to take what they have and to put it into the context of their life, which makes their boundaries move outwards and become more expansive. The reason that we invest 12 years of our life in becoming more expansive is because when we come out of that place, we have a better knowledge, a better understanding, a better appreciation of what life is all about. We're more equipped to handle situations because our life is not small anymore. Our life has grown. We go through college because all of a sudden what ends up happening is I find myself at a place where I've got a whole bunch of knowledge and information, but I, I'm wanting to specialize. I'm wanting to move into something that, that's going to really open the doors for me to realize my full potential of who I am. And in that space, I begin to add more information to who I am and I grow even larger. I grow in ways that I least expect when I go off to college because I become independent and I begin to realize what it is to become self-sufficient and self-reliant. And I realize that mom and dad aren't there anymore. And I can't just leave my washing for mom to do because if it sits on the floor, it's going to sit there forever. Because if you don't pick it up and do it, nobody else is going to. Amen. What's happening? The boundaries of my life are moving out. What's happening is my capacity and my ability, the resources of my life have become enlarged and it's equipped me to be able to deal with more stuff in life. You might be a person who's a sports person. And as you travel through and as you deal with sports, the challenge that you have is that you're going to come to the place where you recognize that there's a threshold to your life. There is a, a, a bar that you hit where you sit and say, I can get this far, but I can't get any more. And I don't know how to get beyond that. It's the challenge with so many golfers. Golfers love the game. They're passionate about the game. But there's nothing more frustrating than when you're trying to tee off with regularity and you keep hitting the ball and you hit a hook. And that's what happens. <laughs> and you hit a hook and you don't know how to fix it. You don't know how to remedy it. What do you do? You go to somebody else and you sit and say, I need for you to give me something. I don't have within the boundaries of my life the ability to be able to deal with where I am right now. I don't know how to fix the situation that's in front of me. I need something from you so that I can overcome the situation. It's the same in the trials of life. Spiritually. When we were dealing with life, God wants to introduce us and make us well aware of the fact that as we navigate life, you're going to deal with some trials and you're going to deal with some torturous situations. I just, sorry, it just is what it is. The thing about it is, what do we do in that situation? It's not that those things are necessarily sent from God. They're not. But the fact of the matter is, you're going to face some trials. There's nobody in life who goes through life who doesn't face some trials. The thing about it is that when we're in that space, when we're in the trial and we're facing something, the first thing we want to do is try and remedy it. And when we can't remedy it, we begin to recognize the fact that there's some parameters to where I am. I've exhausted my possibilities. And when I've exhausted my possibilities, I've got to go outside of myself to try and find a remedy to that. It's what happened to the Roman centurion. He came to Jesus and he said, I need healing. I need healing for a family member because the problem with it is this. If you can just pray for them, the thing about it is I've reached the capacity of where I am. I've recognized the fact that I can't get them healed. I need for you to do them get them healed. Will you do it? Will you do it? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was an interesting character. Sometimes we think that the challenges of our life are always external. Sometimes we think it's because I have to face a financial crisis or there's a, something big happening in my relationships or there, there's something physical that's happening to me. And what we don't always recognize is that sometimes some of the most hidden, some of the most dangerous things that we face are internal. Sometimes what ends up happening is we go through life, but some of the ways that we deal with life, some of the ways that we deal with people, some of the ways that we deal with, with, with navigating our path through life is not healthy. And what ends up happening is anytime you look in your rearview mirror and you see a wake of destruction, what it's sitting saying to you is there's something here that you need some help with. There's something here that you need to lend some attention to. And all too often the challenge with it is we don't have the capacity to be able to overcome that stuff. Those internal things that are so prevalent and define our behaviors and our attitudes and the way that, that we carry on. All too often we can't overcome that. It's the very reason that we have to go outside of ourselves to get something thing. I feel so guilty about my history. I feel so guilty about life. I can't remedy the guilt and so I live with it. 
I can't remedy the fact that I feel insecure. I can't remedy the fact that I'm riddled with fear. I can't remedy the fact that I'm anxious about so many things. I can't remedy the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm angry and critical. I keep doing these things all of the time and what ends up happening is it sabotages my life. It's recognition of the fact that there's something happening on the inside of me and it's calling me and inviting me to recognize the fact that I've got to get outside of myself to get something. Because unless I go outside of myself, I live with it. And that stuff will steal or possibly even kill you. The trials of life take us to a place where we begin to recognize the fact that we are actually in the world, but not necessarily of the world. The trials of life bring people, whether you're born again or not, to a place where you begin to recognize the fact that there is another dimension. You can speak to people who are not even born again, and when they're going through a really hard trial, what is the first thing they say to you? Pray for me! What are they saying? I can't find the resources in, the, in my, the natural capacity to deal with where I am, but there must be something more. Can you get into that other realm for me and bring something into my experience? The very fact that we look for a miracle, that we look for the supernatural, that we look for God, what it's saying is we become aware of the fact that there is another dimension to life. And it becomes consequential. It becomes so important for us because what God's inviting us into is a recognition of the fact that he wants us to live every day in the reality of God encounters. And until we get to the place where we recognize that a God encounter doesn't happen because of what I can do, but a God encounter happens when I'm prepared to step outside of where I'm comfortable, outside of the limits, outside of the boundaries of myself, and allow him in another dimension to come into my arena and have influence, I don't have a God encounter. Trials are healthy because trials will exhaust your capacities. And when trials exhaust my capacities, that's when I start to look. When trials exhaust my capacities is when I get hungry. When trials get me to a place where I recognize the fact that I have nothing more to give, is when I suddenly start to look around. I suddenly start to look around. And so I move to a place where I begin to recognize that there might be another dimension to my life. As born-again believers, we should be aware of that. Because when you get born again, you get introduced to who God is. And so the spirit realm and the spirit capacity, uh, um, dimension becomes very real to us. What God wants to do very often through the trials of life is to take that dimension and make it more apparent in our lives. Sometimes we're born again, but we just live like everybody else lives. But we have a huge advantage when you're born again because you have God with you. And what God is using in that space is the opportunity to reintroduce himself to us and to sit and say, don't forget me. Here's perhaps an opportunity to restart things. Here's an opportunity for you to navigate life from a different perspective as you move forward from here. It becomes important for us because what he's introducing us to is a dimension called wholeness. Wholeness is me walking as a complete soul. When Jesus, when Jesus, when God, when God created man, he breathed into him the breath of life and man became a living soul. Living soul is important. Living soul speaks about the fact that I am both spirit inside of body. It speaks about the fact that I have a mind, the governing entity over my spirit realm, and I have a brain, the governing entity over my natural realm. But all of that is cohesive and wrapped together in something called a living soul. You cannot separate the one from the other. Anytime you separate it, you die. That's the only way that separates it. Otherwise, we live as a living soul. As a living soul, that's so important because God, what God wants us to introduce us to is the fact that we need to be balanced. We're so strange as Christians. Maybe you aren't, but I am. You know what we want? We always want to fall into one rut or the other. So we're always like blazing out and everything has to be spiritual and then I fall into this rut and nothing's natural. Or I want to run over this way because I don't believe in anything spiritual. I don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and the influence of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to live a nice, comfortable Christian life. So I live in the natural realm. I don't believe God calls us to either. God calls us to live cohesively as 
a being that unites both spirit and natural. In that capacity, he understands that we're going to go through life and we're going to experience life, but he wants to re- uh, for us to realize and be introduced to the truth that our capacities naturally can navigate us through certain things, but we're going to hit a place where all of a sudden I don't have the wherewithal to be able to deal with stuff. And you know what he says in that place? When you are weak, I am strong. My power is perfected in your weakness. What he's saying is, I want for you to recognize the fact that you're not one-dimensional. Stop just being natural and looking at life through a natural perspective. But understand that you're working in harmony with God. And there is a spiritual dimension to your life. And as those two work cohesively and take you into your future, what he's wanting for us to do is journey with us through life. Journey with us through life. In Luke chapter 24, it tells a story about a couple of Jesus' disciples. And it was just after Jesus had been crucified. And it talks about the fact that Jesus was in the space. The disciples were in this place and they were leaving Jerusalem. And they're on their way to Emmaus. And they're walking along and they're talking between themselves. And they're facing a trial they're facing a situation they're facing a reality because they invested their life on jesus because jesus was going to be there jesus was going to be the savior they had a concept of who jesus was going to be as the redeemer of israel but then he was sacrificed and then he was crucified and they saw him taken off the cross and put into the tomb and for all accounts and purposes he was dead and so they're leaving Jerusalem because Jesus is dead. And everything that we imagined our future would be with Jesus can't be that way anymore. And as they're walking along, somebody else comes and joins them. And they continue to talk to him. And over a period of time, what ends up happening is the eyes of their understanding are opened and they begin to recognize that it's Jesus. And suddenly everything changes. And suddenly their hearts come alive because they recognize the fact that he's still alive. He is still alive. The biggest challenge that the disciples had was this. They spent their, a, a better part of a number of years together with Jesus. And while they were with Jesus, Jesus was the catalyst for the anointing. Jesus did stuff. Jesus fed 5,000. Jesus healed the people. Jesus spat on the ground and put some mud on somebody's eyes and they were healed. Jesus was the one who went around and did stuff and things happened. Jesus was the one who found himself walking on the water and invited Peter to step over the edge of the boat. Every time something happened that was outside of my boundaries, every time something happened that was beyond their capacity, Jesus was involved. And the problem with it was they couldn't get beyond the reality that Jesus the person was to become Jesus the presence. They were so busy looking at the natural, looking for the person that they missed, that Jesus the person was filled with the spirit of Christ. But the reason that he died was so that the spirit of Christ could not only move out of that space, but it's still going to look for a body. And the body that it's looking for is anybody who will invite it in. Which means that the Spirit of Christ is still alive. It's just inside of you. It's just inside of you. The problem that we have is this. We act very much like the disciples so often because as we navigate our trials and our situations and we have a look at what's happening in our life, the problem that we have is this. I begin to use my reality as the reference point for how things are. I use my reality as a gauge as to where God is. I begin to sit and look at those things and I look for where God is. And because things aren't working out this way, I don't see God. Because things don't look like this, I don't see God. Because I don't hear these kind of things coming back, I don't see God. And so we turn around and we look in despair at the situation because we think that we're serving a God who is dead. I want you to know something. If you will take your eyes off your reality and you will allow the Holy Spirit to, he will open the eyes of your understanding. And when he opens the eyes of your understanding, you're not going to find God in your reality. You're going to have find God into your heart. 
It's in this place where you get to connect with him. When the eyes of your understanding are open, all of a sudden I can go to that place and I begin to realize that God is not dead. He's alive. The problem with it was I was so caught up in my trial. I was so caught up in the reality of what's going on right now is that I muddied all the waters. And with muddied waters, I can't see anything. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's God and what isn't God and how it could be. And I can't see the wood for the trees because I'm living in my reality. The invitation he extends to us is this. Recognize the fact that if you allow the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your understanding, you will begin to recognize where I am. And when you recognize where I am, he makes us a promise in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. He says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. What he's saying is this, I'm not far away. I'm right there. Don't look for me where I'm not, but come to me. When you ask of me, when you seek me, when you knock, you will find me and things will happen. The invitation that he extends to us is to become aware of the fact that we are not just natural, but we have to become appreciative of the fact that there is a spiritual dimension and to be able to at times step away from what's happening in the natural to engage the spirit. Those who live by the spirit should walk by the spirit. What he's saying is this, when you get born again and your eyes of your understanding become illuminated and you become aware of the fact that the spiritual dimension to who you are is so much bigger and so much more powerful and so much more influential in your life, there is the opportunity to live from that place. And if you're living from that place, walk from that place. What he's saying is, walking talks about journeying. As you're journeying through life, take your eyes off your reality. Take your eyes off what's happening outside of you. Take your eyes off what's happening in the situations and circumstances. That stuff's going to happen whether you're looking at it or not. The problem with it is, what you look at defines where you are. And if you look at that too long, you'll miss God. You'll miss God. It's interesting because... It tells us that the woman sold everything she had to pay the doctors, and yet she remained as she was. She was so desperate for a solution. She was so desperate for healing. She was so desperate for an answer. She took everything that she had. She sold everything that she had to try and get an answer, and yet they still couldn't give it to her. This is the insight. Most Christians will live with their issues as long as they can until they've exhausted their possibilities. God, for most Christians, is the last resort. We don't go to God first. Usually what happens with most Christians is something happens and the first thing I think about is, how do I fix it? And I'm trying to fix it and I'm trying to remedy it and I'm trying to do all of these things and I haven't given a moment's thought to sit and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me in this minute now. Touch me right there. Give me some direction. Open the eyes of my understanding so that I can understand from you what it is that I should be doing. So we run ahead and we do all kinds of stuff. It's not necessarily bad. Sometimes things work. But all too often we think we know what the solution is and it just makes matters worse. Or it does nothing. And so we keep running around all the time trying to fix things. And when we've exhausted our possibilities, when we're still living with our issue, then we go looking for God. Please hear what I'm saying. I'm not for a moment suggesting that we need to just be purely spiritual and not natural. We need to do both. And I believe that God works with us cohesively in dealing with both dimensions. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you're a person who's a smoker, the thing about it is that's detrimental. So what ends up happening is you can carry on smoking, but if you wake up one day and you have emphysema, what you're going to find is the doctors can't remedy it. So what we do is we go running around and we sit and say, God, I got a trial here. I need your healing. And we look for God to step into that place. The problem with it is this. There's no, bo- there's no point getting the healing if you don't stop the smoking. 
Because what happens is God can give you brand new lungs, but you continue smoking two packs a day, and in a number of years, you're going to be back at square one. So what God's saying is, I need for you to understand that there are two components to this thing. I'll come in and I can heal you, but at the same time, there has to be a lifestyle switch. So you need for me to move into that place and take away the desire for the cigarettes and to deliver you from that so that you can walk free of that because it needs a lifestyle change. If we don't have both, what ends up happening is all too often, it's not too long we're back at square one. So we need to do both things. I love good food. Who doesn't love good food? Come I love good food. But the thing about it is there has to become a place where, and for me, it's something that I work at, and it's, I, it's hard. It's a sacrifice. But I recognize the fact that, you know what? I, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What that means is this doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. And so my responsibility is to steward this which is his, so that he can take it where he wants and do with it and affect people's lives and circumstances and situations through me as he wants to do. And as a result of that, it comes with responsibility. Sometimes these are the things that we miss. We just want to sing glory, hallelujah songs, but we don't take responsibility for things. What's important is to understand that because it's the, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, I have to be aware of it and take care of it. I see the devil with frequency in the bakery. <laughs> He's always camouflaged in icing and sprinkles. And he looks delicious. He looks so appetizing. The problem with it is there's no nutritional value. Now, I'm not saying don't do that. You need to do it now and again. But if you live in the bakery, it's not a good idea. The point I'm making is this. It becomes important. So for me, because I'm a steward, this is one thing I've thought about. One thing my dad struggled with enormously was physical pain. And the reason he did was because he used to play professional football. Soccer. Soccer. And so the problem with it was when you're in your 20s, you think you're invincible. And so you twist your ankle and you pull this and you stretch that and you tear this and all, but it's like, ah, it'll be fine. And you carry on playing and you're fine because I'm 20 something. But the problem with it is when you hit your seventies, all of a sudden, all those things that you thought that you didn't have to feel and you could overcome because you were invincible come knocking on the door. And they say, you know, those ankles that feel like they're hurting, you know why they hurt, you know, those knees. You know the shoulders, you know the back. Why? Because years of using it takes its toll. And so for me right now, I'm trying to look 20 years in the future. And so I'm sitting saying, what do I look like in 20 years from now? I'm not interested in dieting because dieting is not going to help. Diet's going to, I'm going to be on it for three weeks. And then what? I'm going to go back to how I was living. So I'm going to, everything goes back to square one. It's a lifestyle shift because I'm stewarding, because I'm recognizing the fact that there is a spiritual part to who I am, but there's a natural part to who I am. And in 20 years time, I don't want to be, where, be at a place because I neglected my responsibility to the temple that it's placing all kinds of demands on me. I can't do what I wanted to do because 20 years ago, I didn't pay attention to it. Let's get a little bit deeper. <laughs> choices. We don't always recognize how empowered we are because God gave you the prerogative and the power of choice. God gave you the power of choice. You have the opportunity to choose. Let me tell you how powerful it is. Nothing that happens in your body happens without you. Doing, I'm not talking about heart and organ stuff. I'm talking about decisions and actions. Nothing happens without you okaying it. You never found yourself walking down the street and we're like, where are you going? I don't know. My legs are just carrying me somewhere. I don't know how it happened. You chose. You said yes. Let me extrapolate that and let's just take it down. Do you know what that means? You have, when you lose your temper, you said yes. Your temper never just got the better of you and you were like, I have no clue how, I was just there one minute and the next moment my body went berserk. You had a choice. 
You had a choice. When you open your mouth and you criticize somebody, you had a choice. When you sit and you spend your life engaged in your reality and you allow everything that's happening out here to come in and to define your imagination, you had a choice. Stop doing it. If what you're letting into your eye of your spirit is death and negativity, chop. Nobody said you have to think in that. We, we do, well, the point I'm trying to make for you is this. I'm trying to encourage you by telling you God has empowered you to say the biggest word in the dictionary. No! Stop thinking about some stuff. Oh, I'm such a victim. Everybody's against me. Ah! You don't have to be like that. We choose to indulge it. Understand this. Please, please understand this. God loved you so much. He's given you so much authority in your power to choose than you could ever imagine. Nothing happens by accident in your life as far as actions go. You said yes. You want to change your thinking? You want to change the way you believe? You want to change the way you engage life? Change. Make choices. Make choices. Choices empower you. It, but it's going to be both things. I'm a big believer in Sozo. You know why? Because when you move into Sozo, the Holy Spirit comes right in and he touches the very foundation of who we are. He gets beyond everything else and all the bubble and the froth and everything else and all the things you show everybody else that make you look so fabulous. He pushes it all aside and gets right down to the heart of stuff. And he says, this is the issue. What's so wonderful about Sozo is that he walks you into healing and wholeness. Hear this. You won't keep it unless you let it redefine you. Too many people go in for Sozo and God heals them and moves them to a place and they walk out and they even have physical healing. Not only just emotional healing, but very often it translates into physical healing that God does in their bodies. The problem with it is they walk out and they go back to the way that they used to live. And they don't allow that healing to redefine their mindset, their mindset, their disposition, their attitudes, and their beliefs. So what ends up happening is after a period of time, I go back to acting the way that I used to, feeling the way I used to. And what ends up happening is the healing is lost because I never took it and I never honored it. I never gave it the rightful place on the throne of my life. God is looking for us to be a unified entity, spirit and natural, operating cohesively as a complete unit. He's looking for spirit to take preeminence and in that space for it to have the influence over who I am, how I live, how I act, how I behave. It's the two as one. And so... As we journey through life and we deal with the trials and the situations and the challenges, what God is really doing is he's sitting saying, I want for you to realize the relationship that you have with me. In that space, I want you to be able to define how you relate to me and to understand that and to understand how I relate to you. That's where your Christianity becomes practical. There is a place where you've got to get out of the playbook and onto the field. Lots of Christians want to live in the playbook. The playbook is important. You've got to know the place. If you don't know the place and you get onto the field, you're not equipped. The problem with it is you can't just live with the playbook. At some point, the playbook introduces you to the field. And when you get onto the field, that's when you're going to take everything that you've got from the playbook and you're going to put it into action. And that's where you really learn more than anything. We discover some stuff in that space that we had never anticipated. We learn some things about ourselves that we never knew. We discover some aspects to God that we had never had an appreciation of. But you discover it in the context of our encounter and our experience.
the woman, when she came to Jesus, took a risk. Because of her issue, technically, she should not be out in public. Back in that day, if she had been caught out in public with the issue that she had, she could have been stoned. But something compelled her. Something said to her, it doesn't matter about the risks. Don't worry about it. You've exhausted all possibilities. But because of your trust, step beyond everything else and move to a place where you prepare to go into that arena. It was her trust that got her there. The biggest challenge, no, one of the biggest challenges we have when it comes to dealing with God is the fact that we know God is safe and we know that God loves us. We know that God is all-knowing. We know that God is all-powerful. The challenge with it is God is unpredictable. And because God is unpredictable, it puts a variable into the mix that we're not comfortable. The reason that we reject working with God is because we can't control him. We can't control him. When you speak about control, control is really about the power to influence. I like holding on to the power to influence. People like holding on to the power to influence. When we speak about trust, trust becomes a barometer of where our control is invested. If I trust you, I'm taking the power to influence and I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. Most people don't want to relinquish the power to control, which is understandable. The thing about it is, if I hold on to control, and if I hold on to the power of influence in my life, it leaves me in a much more secure place. I've got nobody to blame but myself. Somehow, I I feel a sense of security in that space. I feel as though I'm able to to be able to manage it in a way that, that I'm overseeing everything. It's not always true, but we feel that. It's about the feelings that we have on the inside of us and the sense of security that we have. The challenge with it is we might be living in those arenas for a period of time, but when trials come, trials demand something of me, and all of a sudden I recognize I no longer have the power to influence. And for me to get the power to influence means that I have to go to the boundary of my life and I have to be willing to trust something that is beyond the boundary. I must be willing to get to that place and sit and say, I'm prepared to take control and hand it over to you. I'm prepared to get to that place and I'm willing to sit and say, I will hand over the power of influence in that situation to you. It's kind of like driving a car. Some people like the steering wheel. They like to be in the driver's seat because I can determine where we're going. I can determine how we're getting there. I can determine how fast we're going. I can determine whether we're overtaking or not, whether we're in the fast lane or the slow lane. I can determine, I'm okay. I'm okay. But they don't like sitting in the passenger seat. They don't like it. And when you ask them to hand over the keys and the steering wheel, lots of people are uncomfortable. Why? Because if I'm behind the driver's seat, if I'm behind the driving wheel, all of a sudden I'm in control. But to relinquish that means that I have to be able to trust you so that I will invest into you that control. The challenge that we have is this. Control rallies against faith. It's the biggest, one of the biggest enemies to faith. Because I cannot control and trust. If I'm controlling, it means I'm investing the power of influence for the situation in myself. But I cannot control something and say I'm going to trust you. Either I believe or I don't. Most people, I can't, I can't believe you, but invest my, trust, my, my control here. And so the thing is, it becomes interesting for us because what we begin to realize is that my ability to be able to hand something over to you is directly related to the degree to which I know you. 
I have relationship with you. If I don't know you, the higher the risk, the more chance I have of making a bad mistake, making a bad call. Lots of people don't know God. And because they don't know God and they don't, they, they read his word and they can tell you all of that stuff. I'm not talking about reading the word. I'm talking beyond the word. I'm talking about where we get to a place where we have an intimate relationship with him, where we know him. We know him. He's defined us. I trust him. And in that place, it's not a problem for me to hand over the keys. In that place, it's not a problem for me to hand over the control. Our ability to hand over the control is directly related to the degree to which we know God. If I don't know him well, it's a far riskier proposition. Where did these come from? It's a miracle. Rafa, I think, brought them up. Thank you, Rafa. Um, okay, let me. Li- I'm going to leave you with a few points and we'll be done. Um, anytime we substitute knowledge for revelation, we live from works and not anointing. Anytime I want to lean to my own understanding to decide what's going on here, and I want to determine what's happening, what ends up happening is is I live from a place where I take control. When I take control, I have no anointing. So all I have to deal with situations is works. But if I can deal and allow God to come into that space and I have meaningful relationship with him, what ends up happening is he will use revelation. He will reveal to me what it is that he wants to do and how he wants the situation remedied. He'll reveal to me how it is that he's going to work in that situation. And when he does something like that, what God commits himself to, his anointing follows, which is a very different paradigm. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. What it's saying is this. Can you hand me the keys? Can you hand me the keys? Not reluctantly, but because I trust you. Because you said this to me, and because of that, I can take these keys and I can hand them over to you in the full conviction and knowledge that, you know what, you're able to do some things in this situation that I can't do. I'm looking forward to the outcome. Why? Because I'm living by faith and I'm not living by control. God is wanting to make himself known and apparent to us every single day and with regularity. And so as we journey through life, my encouragement for you is this. Begin to view it from the perspective of the school of life. It's the school of life. What I'm learning is I'm learning how to live out of a meaningful and intimate relationship with God. I'm learning how to move into the place where I recognize that he's given me talents and abilities and skills and knowledge and understanding to be able to navigate things from a natural perspective. But he doesn't just call me to be natural. He calls me to be spiritual. And so the cohesion of those two things make ultimately who I am. And so I'm learning what it is to journey through life as a complete being, a whole being, allowing him to give direction to me. And the direction he gives to me, I give direction through my brain to my body and my environment. He leads and I follow. He leads and I follow. What becomes important is this. Christianity is not another philosophy. It's not a religion. It's not another religion. I mean, people would classify it as that. But essentially what Christianity is, it's a lifestyle peppered with life, with God encounters. That's what it should be. A lifestyle peppered with God encounters. Anytime you separate and put yourself in a place where you want to be intimate with God, He's going to do some stuff and put some stuff in you. He's going to reveal some stuff for you. When I talk about encounters, it's not always walking into a healing. I, I can't, I'm, I, I'm, I'll do this next time. But in most instances, when we have an encounter with God, the encounter that you're going to have is going to happen inside of yourself before you ever walk into the manifestation and the experience of that. That's just the way that God's designed it. That's why the just shall live by faith. What he's saying is, your encounter is going to be internal. 
And what he does on the inside of you is going to paint a picture for what he wants to do. And he's inviting us to partner with him and to step out in the confidence that I'm able to take that which is of the unseen dimension and introduce it into the natural realm. God never said that we're not going to have trials and challenges. You will have them. Understand this. As we walk through the school of life, what we're learning is how in those trials and in those situations where we recognize that my capacity and my abilities to be able to handle that situation are well beyond my boundaries. What, he, what we're learning is we're learning how God deals with us as natural people. And we're learning how God is wanting to use secondary situations to be able to introduce us to a dimension of who he is that we may not know yet. He's wanting for us to get grounded in something that is a whole new avenue of who God is, which when you walk out of that experience will make you bigger and richer and fuller and it's going to make you much more expansive. Because you're going to have a dimension that you're going to experience that you never had before. And anything that God gives you pushes the boundaries of your life out. Talking about choices, I want to leave you with this thought. The school of life is the battleground for your heart. The school of life is the battleground for your heart. It's usually in the trials that we make a decision as to what is going to define us. And what defines us, we become a son of. When we allow what is in the world to come in and give definition to who we are, what we do is we open the door to the influencer of the deceiver. When we live from our relationship with God, what ends up happening is he comes in and gives definition to who we are and we become more like him, conformed to the image of Christ. So we're becoming something. In every situation, there is a bigger and there is a broader and there is a far more important context at play than just the challenge you're facing. Because when you come out of that on the other side, the question is, what do you look like? God's wanting to use those circumstances and those situations. He's wanting to use the challenges to bring a redefinition to who we are, to make us bigger and more expansive so that we know dad in a better way. So we reflect him better than we used to before. Can we all stand? You're all doing okay. You're very quiet on Mother's Day. Um, let me do one thing, and I needed two things, and then we finished. First thing is this. We want to celebrate the mothers. So if you're a mother or a mother-to-be, or you would like to be a mother, you go out there. Hold on, let me just contextualize that. That could go in any direction in this day and age. If you're a woman and you're expecting to be a mother, go and get a gift in the coffee shop. Okay, we've got a wonderful gift for you, just to say congratulations on being something spectacular. If you're going through a trial or a situation right now, if you're going through a challenge, and it's, I, I, I realize that I'm at the boundary right now. Asia, can you come and play the keys? Thank you. When you're at the boundary, if you're at the boundary, and it's like, I recognize I don't have the capacity to be able to deal with where I am right now. I need God. I need the Holy Spirit to come into the space and I need the Holy Spirit to do something in the space. If you're at that place, won't you come forward because I'd like to pray for you. Just come forward quickly because it's people are waiting for gifts. Thank you.
Okay. Just before I pray for you, I need to tell you something. I can't do anything for you, okay? God is who can do something in your life. So what I need for you to do where you are right now is I want you to close your eyes, okay? I want you to put your hands out. And I want you to just sit there and I want you to focus on the Holy Spirit coming in. And I want you to focus on the Holy Spirit gifting you with something that's going to touch and change and transform your reality. My encouragement to you when you walk away from this is this. What he wants to do may not necessarily look like what you want. But there are some places you have to trust him. It's the place where Lot was. Though he may slay me, yet will I trust him. What he was saying was, I I, I can't always anticipate what this is going to look like and how he's going to work through it. But I'm going to partner with him and I'm going to follow his lead and direction. As I pray for you, Francisca, will you come and pray for us? Um, I think there's a microphone next to Kathy. Father, we thank you for your presence here right now. We thank you. Thank you for your touch. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your word that has come forth. Thank you for deliverance that's happening right now. Thank you for lives that are being changed right now. As we go out, I speak what God has already spoken over us, that you will always be the head and never the tail. You will be above only and never beneath. No weapon that will be formed against you will stand. Every mouth that will rise against you in judgment, that mouth will be condemned. You are protected. You are healed. Angels are going before you, around you, behind you. His peace is your banner. Dwell in it. Live in it. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for a wonderful, wonderful week. We thank you that because we've yielded our hearts and we've opened our lives to you, you will use us and Northern Virginia will be saved in Jesus' name. Amen.